Welcome to Jags Drive Time with John Osherbert and Brian Sexton. Jags Drive Time starts right now. Stop right here, let's have a party. Let's have a party. Let's have a party. We're about to get to it. Under center is Dak Prescott. Dropping the throw, it's a flex. <laughs> Jags are gonna get him! They're gonna sack him inside the 10 yard line. Arden King out of the Highlights from a dramatic Sunday here at TIAA Bank Field. A lot of folks still basking in the glow of that. One that found out today, or will find out, Rayshon Jenkins just named the AFC Defensive Player of the Week a week after. The quarterback was named the AFC Offensive Player of the Week. You know things are going right for your football team when week in and week out your players are vying for top honors. Welcome in. It's a Wednesday. Jags getting set to head later this morning to New York to take on the Jets on Thursday Night Football. We bring in John Osier. Um, We have to begin with this piece of news if you have not seen it. Uh, NFL Hall of Fame running back Franco Harris passed away last evening. And we are two days shy of the league's 50th anniversary celebration. Uh, which was coming on Saturday night at halftime of the Steelers-Raiders game, which, if you don't know the Immaculate Reception, Google it, find it. It is the significant play in NFL history, the best play, when it was voted in the 100th season um, as the greatest play of all time. And Franco, nine Pro Bowls, Hall of Fame, four Super Bowl rings, Super Bowl MVP, um, and passes two days shy of the actual anniversary and three days shy of the Steelers doing what they don't really do, which is retiring jerseys. And they were putting number 32 to rest, and they will lay Franco Harris to rest in the very near future. Yeah, if you're if you're of our era, Brian, and, and, and grew up on the NFL, I I hated the Steelers. I mean, hated them with a passion because they were so good. And they were there every year. And Franco Harris, I, I, I was six years old when he started to get hot in 72 – and I can remember highlights, uh, one of, uh, of of him running down the sidelines as a rookie. He was really good as a rookie. That was his rookie year. He was really good and a big reason that the Steelers, all of a sudden, after years of uh, of being irrelevant, irrelevant, uh, were all of a sudden good. And then, and then, of course, the play. And I can remember I was living in Seattle, Washington. I was six years old, and uh, I was a fan of the Washington football team, who I think were playing the next day against the Green Bay Packers. And they were in the playoffs for the first time. So playoffs were a big deal. You're a kid. The NFL wasn't what it was now, but if you were into it, it was great. And there was a Steelers fan, and the family lived sort of down the alley from – not alley, but down the valley from where we lived in the apartment. And when that play happened, I just remember we had gone outside to play, whatever we were playing, and the kid had come outside because the game was over. Yeah. I mean, there were 13 seconds left. And all of a sudden you heard from inside his apartment – his dad going crazy. I mean, and it was a seminal moment. If you can imagine the Jaguars not making the playoffs for 50 years, getting in and having that play happen to win you the game. Uh, Hail Mary! That was your call, right? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, that one didn't have any of the significance of it. It was, um, it was again, the greatest play uh, as voted on by media and players in the 100th anniversary season. And, there's, and I never knew there's, Frank O'Brien. I never had a chance to meet him. But people that I know well who did know him talk about what a kind, gentle, fantastic person he was. I know Vic Ketchman, my oh, predecessor, yeah? 
covered Franco and always spoke highly of him. Everybody around him spoke highly of him, so rest in peace. I met him once or twice where he was around the Steelers and came to Jacksonville for a Steelers game once. Um, rest in peace, Franco Harris. So let's get going with big things here on a uh, Wednesday-Thursday show. We're going to combine some things. You'll see about that in a moment. Let's talk about the road already traveled for the Jaguars this year. Gut-wrenching losses. They had them. You remember them, the Commanders' loss on opening day where they gave up the fourth-quarter touchdown. That seemed to be a theme. It happened over and over. The Colts did the same thing after Trevor Lawrence gave the Jags the win with two minutes to play. Went right down the field. Same thing a couple weeks later in London. And it felt that way when Dak Prescott put the Cowboys ahead with just over three minutes to play. But all those gut-wrenching losses gave this team something that they could lean on. I think we had to go through some learning you know, curves on, on how to handle adversity. I think we handled it pretty well. Uh, just we never wavered. It was always been we got to finish. Just like how we treat the game, the game doesn't end until it says zero, 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 zero on the clock. And as long as we have a little time on the clock, we always have a chance to win. And that's how we looked at it throughout the season as well. And I think that's our, you know, that's, that's been our message all year. And I think it's going to continue to be the message till we get to where we need to get to. Big thing, too, the road ahead. Stay with the travel theme right here. That is the Jaguars are in control of their playoff future. So tired of the word destiny right now, I can't even tell you. So I won't say playoff destiny. They're in control of their playoff futures. Win, and you're in, and that's something that this team has a lot of confidence in. Jets head coach is, we know what he's like, and we know he's going to bring to the table. We know how he's going to inspire his guys, and I know they have a little bit of of the quarterback situation, but I think uh, White and Wilson are both very, very capable, um, great players. And so it's it's just going to be a matter of us preparing the way we need to throughout the week, um, understanding the elements maybe. Uh, they're home turf. I know they're going to be hungry uh, for a win. Um, it's this part of the season where, like, this is where it's fun. You know, not saying it's not fun in the beginning, but, you know, it's it's going to come down to who wants it more who's going to execute, and we get to see what, what we're made of down the stretch. And I'm very confident in the men that I'm going to battle with. And the big thing three that we've been waiting for, short road this week, and that's the turnaround from Sunday to Thursday. Look, if you're around this game at all, you understand that players are just starting to get their legs back in a normal week around Thursday, starting to feel good and be ready to go. That is not something they have the luxury of waiting for this week. And the head coach knows that's the biggest challenge. Biggest challenge is getting as many guys healthy, you know, and and because you're on the practice field today, you're on the practice field tomorrow, which are typically rest days, you know, for your players. And and um, you know, you've come, you've just come off a, a game where there's 70 plus plays and 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 physical football game, you know, and and, <clears throat> and we're right back, you know, we're right back in the classroom, we're right back on the practice field, so. You know the message to the team is is number one. Let's let's get healthy this week. Let's let's spend as much time as we can, you know, in the building, in the training room, whatever you got to do, in the cold tubs, hot tubs, whatever it is, and and get your bodies bodies right, and then just understanding the game plan. In his head coaching career, Doug is six and zero on Thursday night games, so short week. So obviously he's had a plan that has worked for him. Uh, we were on the practice field yesterday, and they were going through a practice with no pads on whatsoever at half speed. It's that walk through, mm-hmm. you know, get some of the soreness out, get the mental side of the game, which is where I'm going with this. This week, it's about 
the mental side because that's where the practice really is. Yeah, and I, I haven't really looked at who he's beaten on Thursday night, what the circumstances were, but I would guess that it helps Doug's teams in this situation that um, he always takes a pretty simple approach and he believes strongly uh, I really talked to him about this. My impression is he believes strongly in all through the season keeping legs fresh, uh, not overworking. Remember, remember all the all the uh, you know angst about canceling OTAs. Well, canceling the mini camp, like the last three days of mini camp for the veterans because they wouldn't be you know. Yeah. But things like that, uh, there have been a few cases where he could have worked this team harder and it's just sort of you now the legs are the most important thing. He was the next player. So, uh, you know, would he be, you know, six and oh, had he done something different than that? I don't know, but I don't think that hurts on a week like this that just over the course of time, he believes in keeping these guys fresher. Let's go back to the top and big thing one. And that is, this is a team that could not win those close games. We talked about one-score games at the end and learning to win, and now it's a dramatic turnabout, right? I mean, the Chiefs was not a close game. The Lions was not a close game, but the Raiders was. Mm-hmm. The Ravens was. The, the Titans was at one point in the game, and then, of course, last week we've seen it. This team's transformation, and this is the point Josh Allen made and Evan Ingram made it to me the other day in the locker room, is we've been there. We've witnessed it, we've experienced it, we've had to overcome it, and now we know what it takes to win a close game, which is important for tomorrow night because you figure in those weather conditions, the game's going to be close all the way through. Yeah, it, it feels like a play that's going to, I mean, a game that's going to get decided on a few plays, a few big plays, it scares you a little bit because uh, Zach Wilson, the Jets quarterback, the one thing that he has done very well is explosive plays down the field with wet conditions a cornerback slipping that, you know, those sort of things can play into a game like this. You know, it's not just a stat, what you're talking about, Brian, the one score thing. They also, their first six losses all by a score less. Um, They led in all of them. They led in the first half. I mean, in, in, in the second half, I think of four of them. And I don't know if that stat's right, but it feels that, you know what I mean? I mean, like it's, it's close to that. Not only are they winning these close games now, down by 17, down by 17, down by 7, down by 9. They've overcome significant deficits to win all of them. We talked, and fans rolled their eyes for eight weeks when Doug would say, we're we're learning how to win. Well, they learned. Yeah, and here we are at the end of the season, and they're learning what it takes now with every game feeling like it's a playoff game. All right, as I mentioned – We have a combination of Wednesday and Thursday shows for you today. So when we return, he will, he won't, he might. This is Wednesday Morning Drive Time from TIAA Bank Field in Jacksonville. And we're back right after this. Welcome back. Wednesday morning drive time is brought to you by Jet Home Loans. And, of course, our friends at Publix, where shopping is a pleasure. And I'm sure a lot of you, including all of me, will be at Publix a lot the next couple of days, getting ready for the Christmas weekend. Before we get there, though, a big Thursday night game against the Jets. Before we get there, he will. He won't. He might. 
and you're going to the defensive side to get things started. Yeah, I went with Josh Allen, and I could have gone with a lot of guys on the defense. Um, he will, and his kind of tongue in cheek. He'll be in coverage every now and then, and <laughs> you know, twenty-five yards well, downfield on the well, tight end. You know, everybody is sort of killing uh, Mike Caldwell for having Josh Allen back in coverage. The reality is, if you're going to play a three-four scheme, uh, your outside linebackers, which he's an he, he's an outside linebacker in the scheme, he's not a defensive end. There are going to be situations where the other team can scheme you into him being in coverage. So it's just a reality. It, it can look ugly. Uh, but that's just sort of how the defense plays out. If they don't want to do that, then they need to get away from that scheme. So that's just the nature of the scheme. Uh, the the real he will, he won't, he might is he will have help. And I think that's what is really significant about this pass rush now. Uh, you've got a bunch of guys on the front where Josh Allen doesn't have to be the only guy making plays. You've got Arden Key. You've got Smoot. Uh so I think that has been significant in, in that the pass rush last couple of weeks has felt like a team thing, a little more coming at you in waves. Uh, he won't put too much pressure on himself. And, and I think that was a deal um, three or four games ago. It felt like because he was struggling to get that sack that he felt like every play needed to be a sack. And if, you know, that can weigh on you. You talk to him a lot. I talk to him a lot. Yep. He's, he's uh, you know, I had an email two or three weeks ago from somebody saying, it, it's clear to me that Josh Allen doesn't want to be in Jacksonville, and he's playing poorly so that he can get out of Jacksonville. He doesn't want to be here. It's a bit of a well, reach. Well, but one thing you can't question about Josh Allen is his desire to be, I mean, he wants this, and he's working hard at it. Uh, so, I, I think he's past the point of putting too much pressure on himself. And and he might, again, we say a lot about him, he might have turned the corner a little bit. I don't know if he's going to be a 15-sack guy in this league, but he's sort of broken through a little bit. He's making the plays. It's coming to him a little bit. Um, I I say it a lot, but he, he might be the guy to get the turnover, the big play this week that matters on national TV or I, on Amazon Prime. I, I, Amazon Prime. Wouldn't, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me at all if that's the case. I, I'll say this. I think that as Trayvon Walker gets back on the field and, and in a year from now is making more plays and drawing more attention, you'll see more from Josh Allen. Mm-hmm. Arden Key had a tremendous game last week. Yeah, and week. I could have gone with I mean, Arden Key, uh, I almost felt bad as I was starting it because Arden Key is a guy who – uh, probably deserves recognition, you know, all that. But as those guys get their plays, Josh gets his. Yeah, Arden Key, you know, you talk about good free agents. Uh, they had a good free agent class this year. He's He's been a really good sign. All right, let's go to mine, which is Walker Little, and he will be challenged this week. The Jets did not get a sack last week and fell from fourth in the league to eighth with 39 sacks, but they have an aggressive front. And they'll see 72 and say, let's challenge him. Carl Lawson brings it off the edge. The rookie Jermaine Johnson is a guy who can bring some pressure. Expect Robert Sala and that scheme to move to that side and really challenge Walker Little. He won't be caught napping. He won't be unaware of what's going on. And he won't be a guy who can't handle the pressure that comes his way. I talked to him in the locker room yesterday. He understands. I tried to take him places, extra preparation, more conversation. 
He said it's the same old thing every week that there is an expectation from Phil Rauscher and the entire offensive line that everyone, to Blake Hans, right, who's never played for the Jaguars yet, that if their number is called, that they step in. And so he's been ready to play. So he won't be overmatched. He might be starting on a lot of teams around the league. He has tremendous footwork. When you watch him on the practice field and the, the limited portion that we get to see, he's a fluid athlete for a guy who's so big and he's so flexible, can get so low in his stance and can be explosive. Um, I think we might find a guy who has a lot to offer. And you, you don't ever want to see a guy like Cam Robinson leave because Cam is a big part of what you do. But Walker Little is ready for the challenge. Brian, remember, uh, I guess with experience, you sort of see things and you, know, you pull back from. But during the preseason, everybody was talking about the, it seems lack of depth. Oh, I don't make depth. They don't make depth. They don't make depth. Well, they have depth in the offensive line. Yeah. Because, Normally, you lose the left tackle. You're in trouble. Yeah. And um, credit this team for having Shatley available. Uh, for not thinking that you can go into the season with five offensive linemen. There was a, it, it, I get questions the Ozone all the time when the depth chart comes out. Automatically, whoever's not starting, trade them. Oh, you should trade them. You should get value. Well, you know, that's a August conversation. And uh, people often forget that NFL reality is you, is you usually lose guys. You can't go into seasons with 22 players. You have to go into it with 28, 30, you know, uh, 32 players. Walker Little, a second-round draft pick. Um, honestly, there's not supposed to be a drop-off right now. There's not supposed to be a crisis on the offensive line. When you put a second-round draft pick from, from a year ago, it's supposed to be fine. Maybe not as good, but not a crisis. The offensive line's starting a rookie at center. They've got a backup left guard. And by the way, Ben Barch was playing really well mm -hmm. when he left the, the, the game weeks ago now. Uh, and your left tackle is now out, and you're replacing him with a young guy that didn't win either of the starting jobs in training camp this year. And yet, there's really no sense that they're in trouble. Mm -hmm. And Phil Rauscher has done a tremendous job. The Jaguars have allowed 24 sacks this season. Mm -hmm. And in the last three games, they've allowed three sacks. One in the last two. Six games this year, no sacks. The offensive line is a strength. Could it be better? It could be stronger. Sure. How many times have we stood on the practice field and talked about what a season, an offseason in the weight room will do mm -hmm. for this particular group? But and this offensive line. Yeah. Uh, under the same coach. I mean, it, it'll, it'll get better. But, again, I, I don't sense that they believe this is a, this is a crisis moment. Nope. When we come back. On Jags Drive Time on a Wednesday morning, this or that, presented by Price.com. Jaguars Game Day Radio is brought to you by our friends at Vistar. Vistar, do good, bank better. Back after this. Price.com is the easiest way for you to save money with comparison shopping, cashback, coupons, all in one. It's free. Try Price.com today. This or that. This or that. Here's a little familiarity for you on a Wednesday. This or that, presented by Price.com. John. Uh, this or that, you know, better free agent signing, better receiver for this team, Christian Kirk or Zay Jones. And, uh, you know, 
I guess I chose it because I'm not sure there's an answer. Um, you could add Evan Ingram into that conversation as well. Yeah, uh, you could, except it's this or that, not this or that or that. So Agreed. I just went this or that. Um, you know, I don't know. I, I, I think a month ago you'd have assumed it was a given that it was Christian Kirk. Uh, now I've got people who write the Ozone saying Zay Jones is the best free agent. You know, so it, it, it's whoever's hot at the moment. Um, I say there's no answer, Brian. That's I my, would agree with you. Yeah, and, I mean, and I would say you could put Engram into it. You realize these yeah. guys have the three guys at the top, and John. Nobody is more critical of free agency as a way of building a roster than you. You, right. you are always a voice of reason when they start spending money to talk about how you don't build the roster through that. But Zay Jones leads this team with receptions. Christian Kirk leads it in yardage. Evan Ingram has had incredible catches the last few weeks. Combined, they have 205 catches, more than 2,000 yeah. receiving yards and 16 touchdowns. Pick one. What a tremendous free agent class this has turned out to be. And you rarely see it. I mean, it, it's always, uh, again, so often that you get guys who either, once they get here, the, you feel like they don't want to be here. They sign for the money. It's not a fit. Uh, they're not cultural fits. All those things that we've seen a million times in free agency, it's why it's so hard. And every one of these guys uh, feels like a drafted rookie, if, if you know what I mean. No, I know you, exactly what you and, mean. And uh, you've talked to guys over the years. Uh, there are guys who's, who is free agents when they retire or leave the game, they feel like Jaguars. And it's not all the time. A lot of guys come here and, and they're gone. And it and they never really, like uh, Shaq Griffin, for example. My guess is when he retires, he'll be a Seahawk. He'll feel like a Seahawk, you know, and, and uh, because of circumstances. And uh, you know what I'm getting at. All three of these guys, when you talk to them, Paz signed here, and, and I think he would tell you he feels like a Jack. Yeah. I, all three of these guys feel like that's a possibility. And that's very unusual to have that cultural feel, production feel for it to work like this. When you play in free agency like the Jaguars have had to because there have been so many misses in the draft, I mean, you're hoping to hit on one or two. Yep. But if you look at the last two free agent classes, how about the way that Roy Robertson-Harris mm -hmm. has been flashing the last three weeks? He's made huge plays. Four weeks, right? Um, Rayshon Jenkins is the AFC Defensive Player of the Week. I mean, Shaq Griffin is the lone, yeah. and that was a screw-up, right? In the last two free agent classes, these guys have really fallen into place and are contributing. Even Darius Williams, who didn't look like he was up to the money that they spent right. when they moved him outside two weeks ago, all of a sudden now he's only allowed two catches and is playing at a high level. And and, and we haven't talked a lot about Rayshon because we talked about him so much on Monday. Uh, a couple of things. If, if he hadn't been player of the week, you may as well just cancel the award. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. Like I, I wrote and said a couple of times, if somebody had beaten him, I want to watch that game. Yeah, because it'd been a heck of a game. So uh, good for him. And even th you know, it's it. I did no zone podcast with uh, Rayshon this off season, I think, and it struck me that this is a guy who really wants to be here. Didn't seem to have, uh, last year jaded everybody, but. He wasn't really on his way to run out the door, if you follow me. Yes. He was so committed to this. And I think he'll be, you know, it, it. it's interesting to me that so many veterans feel like they're 
Jaguars here. And I'm sure some of it's the success they've had the last couple of weeks that jades you or, the, or that skews you in that direction. But I, I think it's it's a theme, and it's credit to Doug Peterson, credit to these guys that it's come together in that way. All right. I'll go with this one for you. And this is seasonal, obviously, with Christmas coming up on Sunday. What would you rather have? Tomorrow night's primetime game in New York with the playoffs on the line, the bright lights of the biggest stage in the league, or would you rather be playing this one Saturday at 1 o'clock? I mean, obviously the trade-offs here are, hey, Saturday at 1 o'clock, you're, you're playing on Christmas Eve, and it eats up a big amount of family time, and you know, these guys are going to get three days off because of the Thursday night game. But maybe you're a little healthier. You feel a little bit better. Um, you know, what would you – is this what you want this week? Prime time, Thursday night, and all that comes with that. Or would you rather have the 1 o'clock game on Saturday? This is kind of a, a cop-out answer. But uh, most coaches will tell you this. You want the Thursday game if you win. Yeah. Because then you get the benefits of it. It's cool. And then you get that time off. Uh, you know n- – I enjoy the Thursday game because I don't mind the short week. It gives you a couple of days off. For somebody covering it like us, it's fantastic. Right. Uh, for the players, as I've gotten to know players over the years, understand what they go through to get ready. I think I think Thursday games are a, are are a cruel necessity for the players. Well, there's a lot of money involved now. I think it's yeah. a billion dollar a year package just for the Thursday night game. The other side of the coin is 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 are they at a competitive disadvantage because the Jets aren't traveling? Yeah. Um, because the Jaguars are turning around and traveling on Wednesday. Yeah, there are those who who say it's the case. I would like Brian them, to, and I know they can't do this, but it would be a good thing if the league really worked harder to give teams a bye before the Thursday game, uh, and that would take a lot of the physical strain off a lot of them. The only problem with that is if you you almost have to do it for both teams, or one of them is at such a is it such a disadvantage? But they'll never do that because they don't listen to Johnny. <laughs> and and it's also impossible. But other than that, they should do it. All right. We'll leave it at that. We'll come back with Friday's headlines today to wrap up a Wednesday edition of Jags Drive Time from TIAA Bank in Field Bank Field in Jacksonville. Back after this. Well, for nine years, DreamFinders Homes has been proud to call themselves the official home builder of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Visit DreamFindersHomes.com for all their available inventory and a holiday special. Go Jaguars! Our job is to is to change culture. Our job is to you know promote a winning culture and a winning atmosphere. And um, you know, it's it's obviously it doesn't it doesn't come overnight it's not a quick fix as, as you guys know and you know I think I think what the players and the team have done this year in four games um, to go two and two you know when trailing 17 points is, is huge it, it it shows us and shows them that, that that we're flipping this culture and this narrative and um, you can't worry about the past obviously but but we can learn from it um, and and it's, it's really good to see that the guys have They've bought into that, you know, and, and they really haven't. Even the guys that have been here, you know, multiple years, um, I think are in a different place mentally uh, than they were, you know, just a few years ago. So that's a that's a really good thing that's going on. Head coach Doug Peterson. Uh, that was Monday, and I, I threw it in because you and I had a conversation 
on the way off the practice field yesterday where we compared Doug and his demeanor, the way he goes about things, to a guy you covered and a mm-hmm. guy that I admire, and I'm sure all of our viewers do as well, Tony Dungy. And I've said it before that Tony Dungy is that even-keeled guy, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it, nothing bothers him. I remember here in 2006, the Jags ran for 375 yards, and I went to his post-game news conference because I wanted to hear how he was explained that, right? Here was a team with Super Bowl aspirations. And he said, it's a problem. Right. We'll fix it. And they did, and they won the Super Bowl, right? Since then, I've always admired that even keel, and that's what Doug is. Well, He's so even. I haven't done the research that I need to. It, uh, but it, if you remember, uh, Doug, the year that the uh, Eagles won the Super Bowl, they lost Carson Wentz. And the season's over. I mean, it, they were the, the, uh, the top seed, but the narrative when they lost Carson Wentz was that's it. Yeah. And then they go in the Super Bowl relatively similar thing to what you're talking about with Tony and the next two years and I wasn't covering the Eagles so I don't know it intrinsically but the Eagles had to sort of come back each of the next two years from rocky starts they were always a team that navigated the end of the season and got there when with games on the line and games that mattered um not really that surprising that he he's he's held this team together and got them into situations. He has a knack for getting teams in situations where they have a chance to go do it. Interesting factoid on this game, Brian. If the Jaguars win and the Titans lose this week, in terms of the AFC South, the Jaguars game next week doesn't matter because they will be in a situation where even if they lose to the Texans, it's winner take all. The Jaguars can't clinch the South before that last game, by the way, because they can't get far enough ahead of the Titans right. and and so this game matters very much if the Titans would happen to lose the Jaguars won't rest players next week because there's wild card stuff but it takes the pressure off of that game uh I, I thought that was interesting don't you know so. and and we were standing on the again on the practice field yesterday talking with some folks it's just like what a position this team could be in had they won one or two yeah. more of those games. And it was just idle conversation. It wasn't sure. as if they're hanging their hat on that excuse. But where this team could be, and again, yeah. you, you can have this this philosophical conversation, they wouldn't be where they are if they hadn't gone through what they did. Right. right? And, I mean, you make a strong case. A couple of, excuse me, a couple of their wins – Baltimore, Dallas were by a thread. Yeah. So those could have easily gone the other way. They they earned them. I'm not taking them away from them. But in the NFL, it, it's really tough to go back and say, what and say well, if? The, you know, if they'd have done this, if they'd have done this. So It's easy, though, to go forward and say, if this, then that, if the Jaguars win yep. their three remaining games, no matter what the Titans do the next two weeks, the Jaguars win the AFC South. All right, it is time for Friday's headlines today here's what we think a theoretical headline would look like after the Jaguars primetime game against the Jets you want to go well Brian I've been picking against them all season and they've gotten to this point so you're gonna stick with that out of out of uh whatever that is uh superstition for fans not to get mad at me I'm going to say whoops they slipped up in New York um that's my official pick official I'm couching it by saying I don't feel as strongly about I, I I I think there's a good chance they go up and handle it. The thing that worries you about this game is, is the weather, the Jets' defense. 
if the Jaguars sort of stumble a little bit early like they've been doing, uh, could the Jets get a break or two offensively, get ahead of them, make the weather tough to get back into right. it? Um, so my official pick is whoops. Okay. With a smile because I think next year we need to get the guys in digital to create a graphic and a headline for us, and we'll keep score as we go through. Right. Just for fun, right? Um, mine is going to be in typical New York Post style, and it'll be mistletoed and have a picture of Riley Patterson kicking the ball as he kicks the game-winning field goal. Because I think, you realized last weekend, you had two AFC South games that went to overtime. And two AFC South games, the Colts game in Minnesota on Saturday and the, the Titans game in L.A. on Sunday, that were decided by a field goal on the final play of the game. I think that's the case. I think the Jaguars win by a field goal, and it's as mistletoed as the Jaguars leave New York with the, um, the gang green feeling grinchy. The interesting thing to watch this week is, too, is where Tennessee is. They lost four in a row. They fought last week. Um, it's just going to be interesting to see how their season plays out. Uh, again, the Jaguars going to have to win that last game. There's no, uh, there's no getting around that. It's going to be dramatic. But you just kind of wonder where they are right now. They're certainly sort of slipping as the Jaguars get better. But the And where's their quarterback? Yeah. Because he left the game, he came back, but he hasn't yeah. been practicing this week. But the reality is they're a dangerous, you tough team. And when you've got to beat them, if that, if that happens, they're tough. All right. Tough. That's the nature of the game. It'll be tough on Thursday night in those weather conditions, but the Jaguars have become tough-minded since the beginning of November. You know, that's when things start to swing. Jags 4-2. and two. In the most critical stretch of an NFL season, November into December, we'll see if they can keep it going for John Osier and Joe Fortunato and David Cho and Brett Reber. And Brian, Merry Crema. Because <laughs> we won't talk to happy any, holidays. anybody before that. Uh, happy holidays and Merry Crema. Merry Christmas, everybody. Have a wonderful rest of your day. An exciting day tomorrow as we get ready for primetime football.